0: And so um, there are a lot of socio demographic variables that go into analyzing what a target audience is expecting. So their, their gender, their age, are they married or they're not? Do they have children at home? Do they have aging parents at home? Um, what cultural background do they come from? What part of the United States do they live in? Um, was pork a part of their diet growing up or do they have a li- religious preference that is more anti-pork right or are those the people that they're surrounded by every day is does their religious belief influence what they eat so there's all these different things that go into making up how a person makes decisions about the food they eat which is why this is such a complex topic and it's hard to build trust because when we just put one message out there you know it might hit a a tenth of our audience but we're letting 90 percent of the audience go um so we can really nail down what these different consumer markets are interested in um, what they care about and then we can tailor messages to them we call it framing messages it's how we describe something um on the channel that they use because they, we don't all use the same channel right
1: swine. it's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Adisseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at eastman.com. Feedflow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with Feedflow. Curious to discover if you can manage your animal data and team's work with the touch of a finger? Some of the best and largest pig farm holdings worldwide use cloud farms to collect and analyze data like never before. How? With the most advanced mobile app to collect data accurately and super fast. For breeding farrowing weaning and finishing also this is the easiest way to assign tasks to your team and motivate to work more efficiently you instantly understand what gets done on time and what doesn't so yes you can manage your animal data with the touch of a finger
2: hey welcome to another episode of the swine it podcast i'm your host trey Kellner. And I'm very excited to be joined by uh, Professor Alexa Lamb from the University of Georgia. Uh, how's your day going, Alexa?
0: Oh, fantastic. We just started the first day of class today, so a lot of excitement here.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Dr. Lamb, what should our listeners know about you? How would you like to introduce yourself to, or yourself to your audience?
0: Uh, well, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, as mentioned, I am a professor at the University of Georgia. I focus in science communication, specifically around agricultural and environmental issues. I'm also the communication lead for the brand new Real Cork Trust Consortium um, that just got launched in collaboration with um, the National Board Board.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. So let's start there. That's kind of the, the newsworthy topic, right? If someone Googles you or anything like that, that's going to be one of the first thing that pops up. So what should pork producers and our listeners know about the Real Pork Trust Consortium?
0: Well, we are very excited to be a part of this. Um, As you've probably read, uh, the consortium is a group of institutions, universities coming together to try and tackle uh, consumer concerns and to build consumer trust within the pork industry. I come from an animal science background, my bachelor's degree is in animal science before moving into the human dimension and studying communication like I do now. Um, And so this is one of those areas that's really near and dear to my heart um, as I study consumer trends and consumer acceptance of new um, approaches, um, environmental issues, animal welfare issues surrounding um, production, right? Um, And of course consumers care about all of this because They literally consume your product, right? They put it into their body. They feed it to their children. And so um, how food is produced, um, its implications on the environment, its implications on our own bodies is important to them. And so we need to be able to effectively communicate the science behind the production of food, and in this case, pork production, effectively effectively. And that's kind of tricky in this day and age because of the changing communication environment um, and lack of public trust in science in general. And so uh, that's my area of inquiry and study. And so we're really excited to lead the communication part of the consortium, which also includes a very large research component um, and also training components that are being led out of um, several of our other partner institutions.
2: Yeah, so I think one exciting part that I read uh, was that it's a five-year, basically, collaboration. Talk about the advantages of that length in collaboration and then what ultimately you hope are the objectives and outcomes of the collaboration between the five universities and the National Pork Board.
0: That's a great point. Um, having the time to be able to do the work effectively um, is really important, especially because the Real Pork Trust Consortium has been built upon two-way communication with consumers, meaning we are gonna do research this first year and then continue for the five years on what consumer concerns are. The pork board's been doing a lot of that over time already. And so we already have a lot of data, but we're sifting through that data right now um, to figure out where what are consumers really concerned about? What is it about animal welfare? What is it about environmental sustainability? What is it about the nutritional aspects of pork that might might be of concern that they just, consumers don't feel like they have the information that they need. And so uh, communication experts like myself are gonna be doing that consumer research. We're then going to use that information, that feedback from consumers. And we have this amazing team of animal scientists spread across four other universities that can do that research. They can study the specific aspects of environmental sustainability, the specific aspects around animal welfare concerns of consumers. And then they're going to bring those findings back to our communication team. And we're going to be able to use the best strategies we know to target specific audiences and get that information to consumers that can use it then to make informed decisions about the food they eat. And so it's really this kind of cyclical process. And it's very new, right? That it, Agricultural industry, by and large, just puts information out there. And the science community does that too, right? We just put information out there and we let it sit out there and we hope that consumers use it. This is really that two way addressing consumer concerns, doing the research, and then providing them with what they asked for. Um, And that we expect that to be cyclical and that will take time. And so as we move through the five years of the project, we expect that some of the concerns that consumers started with hopefully we'll no longer be concerns because we found solutions, right? And we're able to give it to them in a format they could really understand. And so we can grow and change and help each other and build that trust between the pork industry and the consumers.
2: Yeah. So as everyone knows on this podcast, right, there is a gap, right? I'm heading to Chicago this weekend. If I would ask a hundred Chicagoans, you know, do you, do you know what a swine nutritionist or an animal scientist is right there? would Be zero that would know, right? And even, even something in terms of agriculture communications, right, there's, there's you know, if we pull 100 people, our answer would probably be zero. So talk about some of those targeted approaches within the communication aspect of these findings and your other findings within your research lab about how do you bridge that gap between, as you said, kind of that data that you pull on Google Scholar or, you know, whatever journal that we're publishing in or any of the trade magazines Compared to like what's actually on Snapchat and TikTok and Twitter, and so how do we, how do you specifically get those findings to where they need to be to the ultimate consumer and and moms and parents that are purchasing pork every day for their children?
0: Man, that is a great question, and um, we've kind of created this model of communication based on a lot of research that one says there is no one size fits all, right? We have to figure out what our very specific audiences within the larger consumer base is interested in. So even a mom like me, right, a Gen Xer with um, older elementary age kids is going to have different concerns than a young mom in her early 20s with an infant. Um, and so we can't even say that moms have the same concerns because one grew up in a much more environmentally concerned sustainability concerned generation than the other and so she's going to care more about one thing well i'm going to care about something different and so um, there are a lot of socio demographic variables that go into analyzing what a target audience is expecting so their their gender their age are they married or they're not do they have children at home do they have aging parents at home Um, what cultural background did they come from? What part of the United States do they live in? Um, was pork a part of their diet growing up or do they have a religious preference that is more anti-pork, right? Or are those the people that they're surrounded by every day is, does their religious belief influence what they eat? So there's all these different things that go into making up how a person makes decisions about the food they eat, which is why this is such a complex topic and build trust because when we just put one message out there, you know, it might hit a 10th of our audience, but we're letting 90% of the audience go. Um, So we can really nail down what these different consumer markets are interested in um, what they care about. And then we can tailor messages to them. We call it framing messages. It's how we describe something Um, on the channel that they use because we don't all use the same channel, right? Um, The students I just taught this morning when I asked them how many used Facebook, not a single one raised their hand. Right. (laughs) Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. And I'm like, how about anybody going into threads? Like that's the new thing, right? And they're just a couple. So I mean, they're emerging all the time too, these channels. So we have to like, it's dynamic, it's not static. We have to always be thinking about, okay, who's our consumer market? Let's find out who they are, where they are, what message they want things framed in. Is it environmental? Is it an animal welfare issue? Is it a nutritional aspect of the product? And then create that message to tailor to them. Our competitors, right, science competitors, um, are those that that share misinformation or disinformation. Um, And there's a lot of it out there. And when we as an agricultural community, as scientists, as producers collectively, aren't proactively putting information on the channel in the way people receive that space gets filled by everybody else and mm-hmm. so consumers don't have anywhere else to go other than that information so a big part of our job is getting the information to them to these mark figure out who these markets are to them in the format they want on the channel they use um and then also delivered by a source that they trust and that's building trust takes time, which again, five years helps us build that trust over time.
2: Yes. So, uh, yeah. So one word you've used in this podcast, and once again, if you you know look at the publications that you've had, or even the name of this consortium, right, it's all centered around trust. And I listened to a podcast the other day that was all about the trust wars, right? So h- how do you most effectively define trust? And then how do you quote, unquote, I mean, for lack of a better term, when the trust war, right?
0: Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, trust has been defined in a whole lot of different ways um, because one thing I know as a social scientist who studies people is people are really messy. Like we're really messy and we change and we're fickle and, and one day we'll trust a source um, and the next we won't. Um, because what do they say? It takes 10 years to build trust and a moment to destroy it, right? Um, so trust is somebody believing and making a decision just this is the simplest form believing when you're the information you have to share to a degree that they will make a decision based upon that information they will trust that information to make a sound decision as they move forward um, and they will come back to you then right if they are interested in what if the result ends up being what they expect it to be, they will come back to you because they will trust that information. Uh, but it takes time to build trust. Trust is something that's built over time. It's not instantaneous. And so, um, but it can be destroyed very quickly too. Um, sorry, I missed the second part of the question. Oh yeah.
2: How, how do you win that trust war? As you're talking about, right, the science, right, that's out there. Um, as you were talking about, there's there's a lot of it. I mean, it, you don't have to go very far on social media to to find things, even within my algorithm, right? So, so how do you how do you quote unquote, or how do our listeners um, largely um, how do we how do we start winning some of those battles, those wars? How do we effectively get our message out? What strategies have you found, whether that's research based or even just personal or observational based, um, have been effective?
0: Yeah, um, I think we're still exploring that. And it depends on the audience and what they are relying on um, when they're establishing trust with a source of information. I think the biggest um, thing we can do as an industry and as scientists is show up, be there, put our information out there, make it available and in a format that a consumer can understand. We we like to use facts, figures, sources, journal articles, um, acronyms, and the general consumer has no idea what those things mean or how how that actually how to make a decision based on that information. So we need to break it down. We need to simplify. We need to recognize that not everything that we believe is important is important to the consumer. So we can distill information. We don't have to share everything that came out of a scientific study. We need to share the one piece of information that a consumer really cares about. Um, And then provide resources if they want to go learn more. Um, And so I think, one, filling the space so that that space can't be filled by misinformation and disinformation will help us in that war. I think showing up again and again and again, right? Not just putting one thing out there and then being gone for a month or two, right? Because that's not what those were working that are spreading misinformation, disinformation do They They show up repeatedly, right? It's like, you're getting blasted with message after message. We need to be there like that. We need to be that, that source of information that is steady and constant uh, and doesn't just disappear. Um, We need to use that language that makes sense to them, that doesn't feel, uh, you know, universities are often looked at as ivory towers. It's like, it's kind of, we are the scientists we know better than you. Um, When a lot of people make decisions based on their previous experiences. So we need to think about how we integrate our our scientific findings into the experiences that people have had. Um, Because then that creates, I'm going to use a scientific term, It reduces cognitive dissonance, which is the dismissal of information when it doesn't fit with my current paradigm. And so um, how do we eliminate that? How do we use language that that aligns with people's beliefs rather than challenges them um, and allows them to immediately dismiss scientific information? And so I think those are some of the steps we can take in building trust and in kind of winning that trust war, because those are the things that influencers do. Right. Right. they create visceral, emotional reactions that get people to change their behavior. That's what that's all about. Well, we can do that too, um, but but we don't operate that way. We operate in numbers, figures, facts, scientific truth, um, and so we need to start sharing our information in the way people want to hear it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes we're hesitant to get to the emotional side, right? We're as pork producers or pork scientists or. You know, um, academics, right? Um, You know, we tend to like numbers and data and reports and stand on that firmly. Um, And yeah, sometimes just that little bit of care and passion uh, can take your message way further than if it was just black and white, you know, the scoreboard. So, really great points, and really appreciate those comments. So, let's transition just a little bit and, and get into a little bit different specifics. So. Some of our listeners are technically trained, you know, nutritionists, geneticists, um, et cetera, and pork producers often know numbers, et cetera. So just curious, like, how do you set up a research experiment based off of what communication strategy works with this demographic? You know, how is that experimental design Um, set up, Um, you know, what's your scientific approach, just kind of explain a little bit of of how that communication research is is conducted.
0: Sure. Another great question. Um, As a social scientist, the methods we use diverge from but are not that different from our bench science partners. Um, Other than our target audience is a moving object. Um, Not that not that pigs don't move around, but people, people change a lot. Their thought processes, um, environmental factors can influence things, right? We can say what, that everything is great um, one day and then a hurricane blows through and our my, the way we res- respond to the same questions would be different the next day. Um, so it's a moving target, right? People are, are very influenced by their environment. Um, so we can only capture moment in time is what we say. Like when we ask, People questions on a survey or in a focus group or listening session, it has to be uh, at that moment in time. Um, uh, So that's something that delineates our work from others. Uh, But we do use experimental designs the same way. For example, one of the um, things we're going to be testing in this Realport Trust Consortium communication research are different messaging strategies. I talked earlier about identifying your target audience, and we'll be doing that through surveying to identify their preferences for different um, the areas of concern around pork production, right? And we know different target audiences are going to have different areas of concern. But to determine the best strategies, we will create two or three different approaches. Um, and we will alter just maybe one thing within those. And then through survey design research, we can randomly assign those treatments to different groups of people that will then receive that treatment. They'll see the communication imagery, whether it be a video or a picture or an animated infographic um, that displays some type of scientific information we're trying to get them to make, to use, to increase their knowledge, change their attitude towards pork um, production or eating pork, And then we'll ask a series of questions afterward, and then we can compare their responses to see which one of the experiments is what um, gave us the response we were seeking um, that established more trust or increased knowledge or changed perception or attitude towards um, the area of inquiry. And so we use very similar statistical methods um, to someone who's working in the bench sciences running an experiment out in the barn or in
2: the lab. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, one thing that I wanna to pivot to is we've talked a lot about the outputs of your research in the Realport Trust Consortium, but one important output that you have is students, right? Especially the students that you're training within your laboratory. So first of all, talk about you know what that training looks like, um, what that advancement through a master's or a PhD might look like, and then maybe some of where they have went and how they're helping our industry or help communicate about the activities that we do on a daily basis. And then not to make this a multi-part question, so I will re-ask this if needed, but if an undergrad is listening to this or a a high school student's listening to this, um, how do they get in touch with you if they think, man, this is really cool and this would be something that that I would like to pursue?
0: Yeah, oh, I love that you asked this. I'll be honest. I mean, I love my research, but working with my graduate students is the absolute best part of my day. Um, and I have some fabulous graduate students in my lab that get to work on all kinds of projects. So, um, what does a typical master's program or a PhD program look like in my field? A master's degree comes, you know, right after a bachelor's degree. Our master's students come into agricultural and environmental science communication from all kinds of fields. So I have animal science students, I have environmental um, science students. I have students that have undergrad degrees in Spanish but are just interested in applications um, to agriculture in the environment and they wanna communicate um, with different cultures about agricultural or environmental issues. Um, I have those that come from crop and soil science. I have those from horticulture. that are just really interested in taking the scientific background they have similar to my own animal scientist here. um, But then using the, what they can gain through our program to help the industry communicate that more effectively. Um, And so in our program, they take um, courses in um, communicating scientific innovations. I teach that class Um, teaching and learning theory. So how to teach most effectively, it's not just about communicating, but teaching um, others, educating others, Um, leadership development, working in groups and teams, problem solving, critical thinking. Um, One of the biggest things we hear all the time from the agricultural companies that we work with is that while they love content experts, they really want to hire people with the skills to think critically, to solve problems and to work in teams. And that is something that our graduate students come out from a master's, especially in spades. It's a very applied degree. So it's kind of taking what you learn in your undergrad and then being able to apply that in a very meaningful way on teams out in the workforce. And so a master's in our program can really help with that. A lot of our master's students also go to work in Washington, D.C. around policy and legislation. Um, so if you're interested in becoming a legislative aide, again, we provide those skill sets, those opportunities, internships to be able to work in the policy space. Um, a doctoral programs, uh, for us, you have to have a master's degree to move into our doctoral program. Um, and it's a degree that's very research focused. So it's very theoretical. Uh, You dive into deep research with faculty members at our institution, similar to the ones I explained previously on an agricultural environmental science topic. Um, So it might be how we evaluate the impacts of efforts like the Real Pork Trust Consortium and then effectively communicate those impacts to funders like the National Pork Board and the pork producers um, who pay into checkoff of what the impacts of that effort was and being able to articulate that to showcase the power of those resources and how they've been utilized and the impact that they've actually had on pork prices and consumer trust, right? So we teach the measurement of that um, and the research strategies behind kind of communication research, framing research, um, social media, and exploring social media analytics and what those actually mean, like what is the number of likes, truly equate to in terms of the impact that our work has. Uh, We study that. We study the science of that. Um, And so there's a lot of different aspects to our doctoral program. Those are a few examples. Um, Our students from our doctoral program um, typically go uh, into academia. So my recent doctoral graduate is now a food systems communication assistant professor at North Carolina State University, for example. She just There a couple months ago Um, but we have some that go and become agricultural education teachers we have um, some that go to work for like Bayer or Merck or you know large corporations to help them with their communication and transparency like I mentioned quite a few of ours go into policy spaces Um, so if you're interested in degree programs like ours. Oh, I will mention one of my previous graduate students from a long time ago, because she's now an associate professor at Iowa State, is also on the um, Real Pork Trust Consortium. So Shuyang Q, um, who is at Iowa State and is playing a role in this project, was a former graduate student of mine. Uh, yeah, so you know we're kind of all building on our on our work together over time. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're interested. Um, we have a lot of information on my departmental website. So if you just Google UGA ALEC, A L E C, graduate school, uh, it'll show up and you can see all about our graduate programs here. Of course, um, Iowa state has a great agricultural communications graduate program with Shuyang Qiu and, um, Fali Masambuka Kenchawa who are both on this, this project. Um, as well as uh, Katie Sanders who is at North Carolina State University. She has a food systems communication degree program there both master's and PhD. Um, so there's lots of opportunities for high school students, undergraduates um, or even current graduate students working on their master's if they want to come do their PhD in this field to get involved. Um, it is a um, a growing field. We are seeing more and Positions um, because the realities of being able to, of needing to not only conduct science, but communicate it effectively um, and showcase that return on investment has become more and more apparent. Um, And so we are seeing a lot of positions coming out in our field and we need people who are interested in becoming trained um, to enter that workforce.
2: Well, yeah, 100% agree. Thanks for sharing
1: that. that. That's awesome. It's time for our famous. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. CloudFarms.com Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Healthy Farms by Bioverse. Your manure management experts. Want to save up to 25% in labor time when cleaning your barns? With MS Top Foam Power, you effectively remove all historical pollution. MS Top Foam Power ensures the surface is perfectly clean and ready for disinfection. Find your dealer at www.msgold.eu.
2: So I have kind of four final questions to end this podcast with, Dr. Lamb. So the first is, what's the biggest hurdle you've overcome in your career that you're the most proud of?
0: Oh, the biggest hurdle I've overcome. You're going to ask a personal question. My biggest hurdle, to be completely transparent, um, is uh, I am a mom as well as an academic. And those two things aren't always easy to balance. Um, I had all three of my children while I was an assistant professor at the University of Florida trying to obtain tenure Um, and so it was challenging to balance that. Um, and, but not only did we overcome, we flourished because of it. And, um, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: That's something you should definitely be proud of. And congrats. Um, what's your favorite pork recipe?
0: My favorite pork recipe. Um, my mother-in-law makes an amazing, um, pulled pork. She won't share the recipe with me, so I don't have. It. I share it with all of you—it's a secret. But she, she has an amazing pulled pork recipe. You know, it's one of those that takes all day long, right? It's not multiple days, um, uh, but it's absolutely delicious. And um, yeah, that would be. I'm sorry, I don't have more details like no, I No, that's
2: awesome. If if you ever find out the recipe, please please share with us. Yes.
0: Part though, you know that fall apart. Oh
2: yes. When you don't even have to touch it, just falls off the phone. That, yeah, that's. that's Melt in your
0: mouth. Mm-hmm. Yes, the
2: best. Um, what's the best piece of advice or guidance you've given one of your grad students the past month?
0: In the past month, it was actually probably this morning. Um, I have a brand new doctoral student that just moved here from St. Louis. Um, so, you know, brave soul moving across the country to start her doctoral degree later in life, you know, after a very um, strong career, and she's TAing my class that I taught this morning. And she said, as we're walking over there, it's weird, but I'm kind of (laughs) nervous. And, and I told her, you know what, there is no reason to be nervous, because you just need to be yourself, because that's what students actually care about. And I think that that as I think, thought about it later, that that was just kind of my immediate response. I think that's what we all need to think about when we're trying to communicate with different audiences, consumers, pork producers, scientists, whoever, right, is uh, I think when we're authentic and we can just be ourselves and connect with people, that's when we have the most meaningful dialogue. And so, yeah, that would be it. Yeah,
2: I was told once that it's okay to be nervous because that means that you care.
0: right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It just really that that saying just stuck with me. So people
0: know, right? They know in their gut when you're being canned and when you really care. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. And then lastly, right, we only had about 30 minutes on this podcast to kind of touch on what you've been working on here recently and what you're going to be working on over the next five years. So for listeners, if you had one thing that they could learn from your work and kind of take home from your efforts and hard, hard efforts at that. What would it be?
0: Of all the things that I talked about today and all the things that I do, I think it would be try not to get discouraged when you're communicating about science, when you're communicating about your industry, because it's very easy to get bogged down in all of that in misinformation, disinformation. Even the information people are sharing out there that's not necessarily untrue, but it's not your truth. Um, And it's very easy to say, you know what? It's easier for me to just like go back to my lab or go back to my barn or just shut out the rest of the world because I just can't deal with this. Um, But like I said, in the absence of information, we let other people fill in space. And so I would say just, Try really hard not to get discouraged, um, and just keep keep going, keep trying. Even if you feel like nobody's listening, if you if you change one person's mind, then it was worth it. So um, that would be,
2: uh, yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a great answer, and and thanks, Professor Lamb, for your time to to share your exciting news and your insights and your advice to our listeners here today as we kind of wrap up this episode of the Swine It podcast. I just want to thank our listeners for tuning in and hope you turn into uh, more episodes that we'll have um, down the road. So with that, uh, thank you very much, Dr. Lamb, um, and we'll conclude this podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a good rest of your day.